Hello to those of you that are tuning in with us online today. I want to say a special hello to Danny and Anita in California. We miss you guys. We hope to see you soon, but we hope that you're doing well. Before we jump into God's word today, I want to take a moment to give you a quick public service announcement. This is, this is good. I have really good news to share with you, but I need your help. We've talked about this a lot throughout the course of this year, but we have been experiencing really steady growth, okay, from the beginning of the year till now, not just at this campus, but at, at both of our campuses. And I need your help. Yes, it's a woot-woot for sure, but here's where I need your help, okay? We have two services, one at 9 and one at 1030. And if you look in here, it gets, it's really full. We're a little off balance, okay? And specifically, we're growing with young families, which is excellent. If you want to know how healthy a church is, look at the young families. And we are busting at the seams in Gen Kids, okay? So this is really, really good stuff. But if you can, here's, how, here's the best way you can help us. If you're a, a 1030 family, if you've got space and margin and can come to 9 o'clock, it would help us out tremendously. Here's how it helps us out. It frees up space in here. It frees up space in the parking lot. And it frees up space in our Gen Kids rooms because literally they're packed. Okay, we've got a great Gen Kids team. But this is the, the best thing you could do is just come to the early service. And I know some of you are thinking, it's so early. You go to work that time, you can do that. Your kids are getting on the bus at this time. We can do this together, right? So that's how you can help us. Or guess what? If you sign up to serve in Gen Kids, one of you equals like space for four kids. So option A, option B, or option C, all of the above. However you want to do that, but we would love to get your help in solving this problem. We want to continue to pray that this is a place where people that are far from God can come and find God and people that are not connected can come. And so I want to share all that with you. We could really use your help. Let me pray. We're going to jump into God's word. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful to be a part of a growing, thriving church. I am thankful that we've got young families here and more and more young families and people are inviting their friends. Uh, we don't want the name of Genesis to stand out. We want the name of Jesus to stand out. This is a place where we want people to find their way back to God by starting a relationship with you, Jesus. And so thank you that we continue to grow. Will you help us? Would you lead us through these growing pains? Would you help us to work together as a church family to resolve these things? And would you keep bringing people that are hungry for you? And would you help us to be good inviters and to be friendly and to look for people that we don't know and to invite them into the community of Genesis Church? Holy Spirit, we pray for your help as we jump into God's word today. I pray that you would show us something, that you would teach us something new. You would remind us of a familiar truth, but in all of that, that you would guide us in obeying you with our lives, Jesus. Help us not just to learn, but to follow your example in all that we do. So Holy Spirit, we invite you. We need you. And Jesus, we want everything that we do to point to you. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Now, I don't know about the rest of you guys. I have a really hard time keeping up with the news, okay? The news is depressing. I have a hard time figuring out what is true, what is not true. So I've been listening to some podcasts and like just, I want to get just enough to know what's going on in the world. And I heard a story this week and I just want you to put yourself in the shoes of these homeowners, okay? There has been a breakout of robberies in the Chicagoland area and the robbers are coming in. They're taking people's stuff, but that's not all. They're trashing their houses. Can you imagine having your, having your privacy violated? Okay, you've got stuff that's gone. Somebody's been in your house that shouldn't be there, but then when you come home, not only is all your important stuff missing, the rest of it is trashed. I mean, I, I, this, would be, this would be awful. Now, here's the good news. This is how the story ended. Apparently, these guys were not very bright because when they were arrested, one of them said, hey, I'll tell you what, we did it all. Our calling card is to trash homes. In fact, we want to be known as the trash pandas. 
That's not true. They want to be known as the wet bandits, you guys. That's the story for Home Alone. You know this. How many of you like knew, like, I think, I think I've heard this story before, right? I, some of you were like, this is awful. This is terrible. Would that make a great movie? It's Home Alone. And we had a discussion in our house, like, what's the greatest Christmas movie of all time? And my wife, she said, not only greatest Christmas movie of all time, maybe the greatest movie ever. And here's why. It's iconic, right? Love it or hate it, you can quote it. You know all. You know what's going to happen. And every time Marv gets ready to step on that nail, you're like, no, Marv, don't do it. There's a nail there. Oh, can you imagine? Or when Harry sets his hair on fire, you're like, oh, he totally deserved that. What a jerk, right? We know it. And if you get the opportunity, if you get the opportunity, don't you say, keep the change, you filthy animal, right? It's, it's home alone. It, it's like... It's, it's our culture. It's what we do. And so now we could debate. We could debate on whether or not Home Alone is the greatest movie of all time. But there is a couple of things that I take issue with, okay? This little guy, two years in a row, Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, he wishes his family away. And, and it works. And he has unlimited resources. He gets to go and do whatever he wants. There's like, there's, he can do no wrong. And then he gets about, he gets like 24, 48 hours. And he's like, I've been kind of mean to my parents. I miss them. I hope they come home. And magically, 24 hours later, mom and dad are home. The house is clean. The bad guys are caught, right? Wouldn't it be nice if life worked that way? We can't get our kids to clean up after dinner. They're not going to be able to put the house back together. We would just have to sell our house and move on, right? So that's issue number one. But here's issue number two. Wouldn't it be nice if loneliness worked that way? If you just got a little sad and you were like, oh... I wish this would be better. And within 24 hours, all of your problems would be fixed. That's not how loneliness works. And we're in a season that can kind of amplify our loneliness. Last week, we talked about the fact that the busyness of this holiday season distracts us away from what the true meaning of Christmas is, the birth and the arrival of Jesus. And this week, we're going to look at the fact that even though we get to be with and around people, we have all these opportunities to be with people this holiday season it's really, really easy for us to feel alone. Now, I read an article this week that a friend passed to me about a study that was done from 2003 to 2021. Okay, that was the, when they were gathering all this information. And get this, in 2013, 2014, something really fascinating happened. I don't know what, what, what happened in this year, but from 2013 to the present, Americans have started spending more and more time alone and less and less time with friends and family members. On average, we're spending 10 more hours a week alone and less time with people that we love. And this study actually reveals where we spend our time. We're spending it uh, streaming our favorite shows, shopping online, and scrolling through social media. Okay? So there's that. Recent census data shows that there's more single-person households than ever before. And that's not a bad thing. That's just a reality. But we're spending our time alone. More and more people are living alone. And then Harvard issued a study or their findings from a 2021 study that reports that 36% of all Americans feel a sense, not of loneliness, but of serious loneliness. 36%. And of those surveyed, the highest category was uh, young adults. 61% of young adults said, I feel seriously alone. The next number was 51% of young mothers, mothers with young children, right? Loneliness is a real problem in our world. And so here's what this means. It means that all of us are brushing up against loneliness somewhere. Either we feel seriously alone or we know somebody that, that is, and we might not even know it. It's just a reality of the world that we're living in. And so it's the widow or the widower 
that's trying to fill in a gap now that the love of their life is gone. It's the couple that's lost a child. It's parents that are forced to share custody. It's the single adult living alone in a new city trying to figure everything out. It's the empty nesters that are rattling around in a really big house without kids now, or the soldier that's serving overseas, or the friend or loved one who is battling an addiction and has just gone off all by themselves. They're, they're not looking for help. They don't want help. They don't even know how to ask for help. And so loneliness is a reality for all of us, and it has some really dangerous side effects. Studies show that loneliness can re, uh, lead to an early mortality rate. Physical and emotional challenges, depression, anxiety, diseases of all various forms, and all kinds of abuse comes out of loneliness. And while loneliness is a problem all the time, we are in a season right now that just magnifies the problem. Family-oriented holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas just point out our loneliness. And even we can be with people and feel alone, or we can feel isolated because we feel like we don't have people that we can be with. And here's what I want to say. If you are battling loneliness, if you feel alone, I want you to know, one, and I'm not being funny when I say this, you're not alone. Satan would want us to believe we're the only one that feels alone, but you're not. Not only that, when you're sad, when you're mad, when you're numb, when you've got all these emotions. It's not wrong to feel any of those things. Those are real human emotions. Those things are normal. But here's what I want us to see today. Even though loneliness is a fact of life for us, loneliness was never something that God intended us to feel. Loneliness is not a weight that God intends for us to feel now or for eternity. And we're going to see this in the, in the hope of the Christmas story. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1, because that's where we're going to be spending our time today. A few weeks ago, we, we kicked off this series called Travel Light. And we said, you know, we're in this season where it's easy to be weighed down with things like worry and busyness and loneliness and despair. These are things that are crushing. The weight of them are crushing. And in this series, we want to learn how to let go of those things. We want to leave them behind so we can be free from that weight and we can experience the life that God has for us. And so that's our goal as we approach Christmas. And today, we're going to look at this subject of loneliness by looking at the life of a, a, a person in the Christmas story that we know very little about. Outside of the Christmas story, we don't know much about them. And get this, not only that, they, they're never quoted. They have no quoted words in Scripture. And yet they play a really, really important role. So who is this mystery person? Well, it's Joseph. It's the earthly father of Jesus. We know little about him, but think of the role that he played. And, and I think when we look at some of the details today, we're going to realize, gosh, that guy had to feel lonely. He had to be afraid. He had to be trying to, he had to figure, he had to feel like he was just figuring life out all by himself. So Joseph's story begins in a little village in Galilee known as Nazareth. Now I've never been to Israel, but this is kind of helpful for us. So here's Jerusalem. This is like the capital of Judaism. Okay. Every, like this is the hub and Nazareth is 70 miles to the north, but it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's nowhereville. It's so obscure that it's never mentioned in the Old Testament. In fact, one of Jesus's future disciples jokes and said, can anything good come from Nazareth? The only thing that makes, the only thing that put Nazareth on the map is the fact that in the Christmas story, this is where Mary and Joseph were from. And even though we don't know much about Joseph, I think we can probably assume he is like a lot of other men from Nazareth. He would have been a faithful, hard worker. He would have been faithful to God. And in those days, 
a guy like Joseph would start to think about marriage around the age of 14 or 15, okay? So think like a soft freshman or sophomore in high school. This is when you would think about getting married. It's a little different for women though. Women would start to think about marriage shortly after hitting puberty, which means that Mary, Mary could have been even younger. Think of a middle schooler. These people were, they were really, really young. And when it came to marriage, it wasn't like love and romance had a lot to do with it because a lot of marriages were arranged. And so uh, biblical scholar Paul Mayer suggests that what would likely happen in a small town like Nazareth is that Joseph would notice a girl like Mary. And he would go to his dad and say, I'm, I'm interested in this young lady. And so Joseph's dad would talk to Mary's dad and they would come together and talk. And if everybody was in agreement, they would work out a marriage agreement. And then they would have a, a little ceremony and the, the, kind of, the couple would be blessed. And at that point, they would be betrothed. They would enter into a betrothal period, which is similar to, to an engagement for us, except a lot more strict because you can break an engagement and it would be a pretty awful thing. But if you broke a betrothal, it would be considered like a divorce. On top of that, during a betrothal period, if Mary or Joseph were unfaithful to each other in any way, they, you would be considered an adulteress and the penalty would be death. So this is really serious. When they enter into this betrothal, this is, this is no small thing. And there's another detail that plays into the Christmas story. Because by most Jewish standards, it was very important that a bride maintain her virginity until they were officially married at the end of the betrothal, okay? And Matthew tells us in his gospel account, he assures us Mary remained a virgin until after Jesus was born. And so at some point, Mary and Joseph, this young couple, they get betrothed. And in their betrothal, God decides to throw them a curveball. Now, before we jump into Matthew's account, I want to show you what Luke's gospel tells us about the Christmas story. We're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 1, verse 30. An angel appears to Mary and says to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's, Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now Mary says, how will this be? Because I'm a virgin. And the angel says, that's a great question, Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, I want you to put yourself in Mary's shoes. You are a middle school-aged young lady. You're able to give birth, but now this angel appears to you. Like, that would be pretty awe-inspiring in and of itself. Most times when angels appear, their first words are, don't be afraid, which tells us there's something about their their appearance that's like, whoa, what's happening right now? And then on top of that, this angel says, hey, Mary, I've got some great news for you. You're going to be pregnant and you won't be with the man. Like, how, how does this work? And if I'm Mary, I'm, I'm thinking, did I eat something weird? That really happened, right? Like, that wasn't a dream. He was there. This is what he said. How's that work? I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin. What will people say? What will Joseph think? And imagine you're Joseph. Is that a believable story? No, it's not. How do, how do, you, how do you think that if you're a guy and you receive that message, I'm thinking, uh, I don't think you're telling me the truth right now. I heard a story about a young lady who went to the doctor with her mom. This young lady had been feeling horrible, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. They run a bunch of tests. The doctor comes into the room and says, well, I know why you feel bad. You're pregnant. 
And you can imagine the tension in the room shot real high. The mom looks at the daughter and says, what are we talking about right now? And mom and daughter start going, I swear I've never been with a guy. This is impossible. And then there's the doctor. Like, what does he do? So this doctor walked over to the, to the side of the room. There's a window. And he just starts staring out the window, pretending that this train wreck isn't happening right here. And they're arguing. He's just staring like this. And finally, the room gets silent. And the mom says, doctor, what are you doing? And he said, well, the last time something like this happened, there were wise men that came from a distance. So I'm just going to watch and see if they, if they show up, right? If you're Joseph, you're like, this is impossible. You would be shocked. You would be confused. I would feel alone. I would feel like the person I'm getting ready to marry just left me alone. Now, here's the good news for Joseph, though. He had options. He had three legal options. Option A was that he could marry her quickly and hope that the scandal would just disappear. That would be the best version, right? We can just move on with life. Or option B is you can terminate the betrothal. You can divorce Mary. She would be deemed an adulteress and could be stoned to death. Or option C, you could just dissolve the marriage quietly and you could move on and marry her unborn baby and everybody could kind of go their separate ways. Now, it's really good to have options. We all like to have options. But I think in this instance, all the options in the world doesn't replace what Joseph feels, abandoned and alone. So what's he going to do? Well, this is Luke's account. Now let's jump into Matthew's account. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this, this is how Jesus, the birth of the Messiah, came about. His mother was pledged to be married or betrothed. He was betrothed to a man named Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That's the story we just read. But then Matthew tells us this. Because Joseph, her husband, was a faithful man. He was faithful to the law. He was faithful to God. We learned something about his character here. And yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was going to go with option See, Matthew tells us Joseph had character and apparently he cared about Mary and her unborn child enough where he thought, you know, I could just divorce her quietly, which would mean some of the shame would come onto him. People would ask him all kinds of questions and he could just slide out, but it would allow everybody to live and everybody could just move on and get a fresh start later. Now you want to talk about feeling lonely. That's a horrible situation to be in. And you know what? I know that all of us have been there in some way, shape, or form. I have a really good friend who went through a broken engagement several years ago, and it was horrible. I mean, when he talks about it, it's, it's, the pain is so real. And maybe some of you have been there. You've been betrayed by someone that you love. Or maybe this past year has brought the end to an important relationship. Someone died, that's hard. Or someone you love just walked out on you and never looked back. Or maybe your parents aren't getting together for Christmas and it's weird and you're really sad and you feel alone. One of your kids has taken off and they're not looking in the rearview mirror. They don't call to check in. You don't know if they're alive and you don't think that they care and you feel alone. Or you've been really faithful to your employer and something changed at some point in time and it became about the bottom line and now you feel lonely and betrayed. You know, loneliness is real and it has lots of different faces. And when you go through difficult and traumatic circumstances like this, loneliness, when you wake up, it's just waiting there for you. It follows you around everywhere you go and you can be in the middle of a room and feel completely isolated. And I think that's how Joseph felt, betrayed, 
abandoned, alone. But there's more to his story. Look at what Matthew tells us next. Verse 20. After he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is God's doing. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And in the same way that Mary's encounter with this angel shifted her perspective, the same thing is true with Joseph. And so look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So in spite of how he felt, in spite of the emotions, in spite of all the circumstances, Matthew tells us that Joseph, his encounter with God led to a response of obedience. Now here's a question, why? Why would he do that? And you could argue like, oh, he was faithful, he was good, he was all these things. Yes, but I wonder if he also was realizing, oh, wait a minute, I'm not alone. I feel alone, but I'm not alone. God has given me this, this thing to do. And so in the midst of a complicated situation, he responded in obedience. He took Mary to be his wife. And this wasn't going to be the last time that Joseph is going to feel alone. Imagine how lonely it would be to be Mary and Joseph and to know that everybody else is making up their own narrative of the story. Imagine how lonely it would be to hear the not so silent whispers of all the things people are saying about you and your fiance and her unborn son. Now, at the very same time, Luke's gospel account of the Christmas story tells us during their betrothal that a census was taking place, which meant that everybody had to travel to their family's hometown. So they lived in Nazareth, but they had to go to Bethlehem, which was down by Jerusalem, a 70-mile journey in really, really hilly terrain. And oh, by the way, there was no donkey. We, we put that in there somehow. They had to walk. So if you're Joseph and you're walking this pregnant woman for 70 miles and you have to take care of her, are you feeling alone? I think I would be. Like, how am I going to do this? How does this, how does this work? On top of that, he did not have PTO or paternity leave. If he didn't work, he was not making money. And so they've got to get their way. They've got to find their way all the way to Bethlehem. And I'm thinking, he's, he's thinking these questions like, where are we going to stay? What if there's no room? How, how am I supposed to be a, a good husband? I don't even know what I'm doing right now. How am I supposed to raise this special child that's, that's God's son? Like, don't you think he had to have times of, hey, God, where are you? Have I done something to offend you? Like, why me? What, what is going on here? And then, oh, by the way, there was the night that Jesus was born. There were no nurses and doctors. It was Mary and Joseph in a barn. Do you think Joseph was ready for that? You talk about feeling lonely. Guys, how many of you can imagine delivering your firstborn or any of your children in someone else's barn? Pretty lonely, pretty scary. And then the baby's born and you wanna be happy, but the only place you can lay him is in a, an animal's feeding trough. This is not the life Joseph had planned. So lonely. My wife reminded me of this. In those days, the birth of a firstborn son was a celebration. People would celebrate, but Mary and Joseph, they really didn't get to celebrate. They didn't have their people traveling with them. They didn't have their people to help during the delivery. And no one believed their story. And I wonder how many times they had to remind each other, let's go back, hold on, let's review. 
You saw an angel, right? Yes. Okay, I had a dream. They said the same thing. This is all God's idea. Okay, all right. But then, at some point, Luke tells us that shortly after Jesus was born, there's a knock on the stable door. And they walk over, and there are these shepherds. They smell horrible. They're a little weird, and they're super excited. And Joseph's like, can I help you? And he's like, you're not going to believe this. We just saw a sky full of angels, and they said the Savior of the world has been born, and we're, we're here to worship him. And they fill the, they've come in, and they fill in, and they start worshiping. And all of a sudden, I have to imagine Mary and Joseph like exchange this look, and they're like, okay, we're out of town, but we're clearly not alone. God, God appears to be with us. And then shortly thereafter, around the time that Jesus is a toddler, they get another knock on the door. And these men from the east that are dressed really nice are like, hey, we heard, we've been following a star. And that star means that there's a powerful king that's been born. We're here to worship him. Oh, by the way, we've got some really nice gifts to give him. Can you even imagine? They weren't alone. God had been with them this whole time. And so if there's a lesson that we can learn from Joseph and Mary's life, none of it's easy, but I want you to pay attention to this simple lesson. I think we find this, God values our obedience in the midst of our loneliness. He, he values our obedience. This is what's taking place. Sure, they felt alone, but they continued to be obedient all along the way. Now, does obedience mean that things are easy? No way. Actually, I would argue from Joseph's story, obedience can make things harder. Who, who in scripture, which person can you think of that had an easy story, that didn't have to respond in obedience, that didn't need faith? This is the way this works. But again, if you, if you keep reading through the Christmas story, what you find is that God showed up with the shepherds, with the wise men. He proved that he valued their obedience in the midst of their loneliness. I think Joseph's story is a great reminder that being obedient is difficult and it will lead to periods of loneliness. It was true for Mary. It was true for Joseph. And if you've read Jesus' story, it was true for him too. What part of Jesus' story was easy? Fascinating passage of scripture is Psalm 69. Some, some believe it's a prophetic vision of what Jesus' growing up years would be like. So imagine you're Jesus as a teenager, and these words are true about you. Psalm 69, verse 8, I'm a foreigner to my own family. I'm a stranger to my own mother's children. A zeal for your house consumes me, God, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. They make fun of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am a song of the drunkards. Here's a question. What kind of nicknames do people give little boys like Jesus when people don't know who their dad is? Pretty lonely. What kind of songs do drunk people sing about women like Mary in a story like that? That is lonely, you guys. I think Jesus is, and his family, they, they knew, they understood loneliness. And we can find comfort in knowing that. Jesus modeled a life of obedience and loneliness. But here's what I want us to see today. The Christmas story, in Matthew's version of the Christmas story, he wants us to see that loneliness, our loneliness is the reason that Jesus came in the first place. We're going to go back and look at what this angel said to Joseph in a dream. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel is speaking and says this, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now think about this. Joseph is trying to figure out what is going on and the angel says, hey, loneliness is a serious issue, but this is a bigger one because your sinfulness, the sinfulness of people leads to eternal loneliness apart from God. But the angel says, this mystery baby, this child has come to forgive the sins of the world. In other words, the angel says, hey, Joseph, this baby that you're going to name Jesus has come as the cure for eternal loneliness. Now, if you're feeling alone, one of the cures for loneliness is to know you're not alone. It's to be with people, right? Okay, so listen to what Matthew says next. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now, this is from Isaiah. It was written 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means, everybody say this with me, God with us. Say it again. God with us. God was letting Mary and Joseph in on a not-so-secret secret. I've never intended for you to be alone. I've always been with you. And now through my son, I'm going to be with you forever as God with us. We were never intended to be alone. But here's the great news. Jesus hasn't just come to be the cure for our eternal loneliness. He has come to walk with us through the loneliness that we face day in and day out. So here's my question. How is loneliness impacting your life right now? Some of us would say, oh my gosh, you have no idea how lonely I feel. Some of us are clueless that we're alone because we just chase after all these things. Maybe you lost someone you loved and there is a gap that seems impossible to fill. Or you're overwhelmed by disappointment and suffering and you don't know what to do next and you feel lonely. Maybe you're in leadership and you have to make really hard decisions and no one's happy and you feel really alone. Being a brand new parent can make you feel alone because the days are long and the nights are longer and then the next days repeat, 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 repeat and you're isolated and you can't even get out. It feels lonely. Being a single parent. I mean, parenting is hard enough when you have someone to help you, but your mom and your dad, you're shuttling people everywhere. You're trying to do it all and man, you feel worn out and lonely. Or maybe you're new to a community You're looking for community. You've got spiritual questions and you feel alone and you're you're hoping that there's something more out there. And I want you to know, if that's you, it is okay to feel numb. It is okay to be sad. It is okay to be mad and confused. All of those are normal human emotions. But as we celebrate Christmas, we have got to slow down and realize what it is we celebrate. We are not alone. God has come to be with us through his son, Jesus. And so when Jesus came, he came to forgive our sins. He came to heal our hurts. And he came to fill our loneliness. So as we wrap up, I want to give you a couple really simple, practical things that we can do to apply this to our everyday lives. And this isn't going to fix everything right away. But sometimes we have to practice spiritual things so we can move from where we are to where we need to be, where God wants us to go. And so we, step number one is what we talked about last week. We looked at the story of Mary and Martha, and we learned that we need to set aside time each day to sit at the feet of Jesus. In Mary and Martha's story, what we saw was, what we learned is that Jesus values our time with him 
more than he values anything that we can do for him. We have got to take time to be with him every day, to sit in his presence, to share our questions and our fears and our thoughts. And then we read his word and we let his word inform our life. And there might be days when it seems like nothing is happening, but he is with us and he is for us. I talked to some of you this week that said, I've been practicing this and it it makes a difference. Make time every day to sit at the feet of Jesus and to be with him. But then the second one, and this isn't easy, but the second one is invite people into your life. Part of being alone or feeling alone is being isolated from people. And by the way, you can be with people and be completely alone. So invite some people in. One of the things I love about Genesis, we pray all the time that God would help to grow our congregation, but we're not chasing after a large number on Sunday. We want to be a community where no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what questions you have, you can find a place where you belong and you have people that pray with you and care for you and walk with you. But you have to invite people in. And this leads kind of to the third thing is as followers of Jesus, we get to go and be Jesus for someone else. He has empowered us by the Holy Spirit to go into this world and to represent him and to look for people that are lost and alone and afraid. And so here's my challenge for you. I want to challenge you, and I want you to challenge me to pray, Father, will you show me lonely people? And when he shows you, let it break your heart. And what if you were to step into their loneliness and just to be a friend? You don't have to beat them over the head with scripture. If Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and I've created you to be the light of the world, you just take your light into their darkness. There are lonely people all around us. And they they are waiting for someone filled with the Holy Spirit to step into their life and say, guess what? I'm not alone. You're not alone. God has come to be with us. Now, there's a fascinating thing to see in the gospel of Matthew. It ends in Matthew chapter one by Matthew quoting the prophet Isaiah that says, he will will be called Emmanuel, God with us. So God is with you. And then Jesus's last words He says, I want you to go into all the world and I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. God has come to be with us. I will never leave you. Think of the bookends of the gospel of Matthew. If you are fighting loneliness, I think you need to, we we need to remember that. And so I just want to remind you, God values our obedience in the midst of our loneliness. As we close, our worship team is going to sing a song over us. You might know this song, and if you want to sing, you can sing. Maybe you don't know the words, or maybe you're going to be so moved to emotion that you can't sing. But just, I want you to listen to the words of this song and know you are not alone. The God of the universe is with you. He sees you. He has come to comfort you. His spirit dwells inside of you through faith in his son. So as our team sings, I want to invite you to stand in just a moment. But I also want to invite you to respond. We've got some folks that'll be over on either side that would love to pray with you. You could take a really easy step and walk forward and say, I'm struggling. Would you pray for me for X, Y, Z? Invite Jesus into your life. Maybe you're not following Jesus. Today could be the day that you begin to follow him. He promises to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't even know what it means that you're with us. 
because we can't see you with our physical eyes, would you give us spiritual eyes to see you? When we sing Christmas carols, would we celebrate your arrival and would we look to your return? You are with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You have come to rescue us from eternal loneliness and you walk with us every day. So I pray that as we sing this last song, Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you stir in our hearts? Would you bring to mind people that are lonely and would you help us to be Jesus to them? But would you also help us to be brave enough to find someone and pray and say, I am lonely, I need help. I am scared, I'm afraid, I am numb. Holy Spirit, have your way. Jesus, we love you and we lift our time to you right now. It's in your name we pray, amen.